before we dive into this morning's text, I really feel compelled to say something about this series that we're in. Um, looking back, you know, three or four weeks, and looking forward to what the fullness of this sermon series is going to be. I think, you know, last year we laid a foundation for the church when we went through a series uh, on being a house of prayer, and I think we're seeing that pay off dividends. And I think this message series that we have can do the same, but I'm afraid there's one mistake that we might make. And so I just feel compelled to share this. Uh, one of my favorite songs uh, is by Caveman's Call, and it's called Bus Driver. I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard this song, uh, but it's got kind of a, a spunky, catchy beat, and it's about the mundane life of a bus driver. And the song is literally about how he does the exact same thing every day. He has the same bus route. But the catch or the chorus is, you know, what if I didn't show up today? Would, would it really matter in the, the fullness of things other than there would be one less bus exhaust in Houston? And that song, just for as many years as it's been out there, has really, that question has stuck with me. About two weeks ago, I came to the realization that at some point they wrote Bus Driver 2. And I was like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And so I Googled it, I found it, and I listened to it. And that song answers the question. It's now him at his retirement looking back on 30 years of the mundane driving the same bus route every day, and he realizes that he did change people's lives, that the people that he picked up, he changed the course of their lives just by being there. And so I feel compelled to share this. As we listen, as we, as we think back on what David has already taught, as we think about what's going to be taught today, and as we think about the next several messages, let's be very careful not to listen with the attitude, oh, that's David's thing, or that's the gospel community leader's thing, or that's Sam's thing, or that's the elder's thing, or that's a ministry leader's thing. Oh, that's that ministry team. Oh, that's that ministry team. The things that we are talking about, even though we're, we're going to come to a point where we're going to talk about some specific titles, the concepts that we're talking about in this series applies to every one of us. And the only way that we're going to build up the body, the only way that we're going to attain and achieve unity, the only way that we are going to build one another up in Christ is if we understand it's all of our responsibilities. So there's three passages I want to share with you before we begin. I would joke and say that, you know, this this would be first sermon before my second sermon, but David's already preached, so this is second sermon leading the third sermon. But looking back two weeks ago, David shared with us Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One another, that's all of us. Every day. That's self-explanatory. He, he reaffirms it by saying, as long as it's called today. Well, 
Today's today, guys. That none, none for, for none to be achieved, we can't depend on David single-handedly having connectedness to 120, 130 people. I mean, I think he'll try, but that's not realistic. And none is not going to be achieved if it's just the job of the elders. And none's not going to be achieved if it's just the gospel community leaders or it's just the ministry team leaders. None happens when we all, through our natural connections to one another, or specifically going, you know what, I feel like so-and-so is kind of on the outside. I don't know who their natural connection is. Maybe I'm supposed to be their connection. But that's the way none is achieved. That's the way one to another is achieved. Then last week, David shared with us Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so one of the one of the concepts of the message today is that um, building up the body takes work, and some of that work is considering, not just assuming that how I build up Jason is the same way that I'm going to build up David, and or I'm going to build up Kellen, or I'm just going to generically do this thing, and then everybody's going to be built up in the church. But I've got to think, Jason's a unique person, Kellen's a unique person, David's a unique person. And then here's one more to consider in light, in light of today's message. And this is one, every time I read the book of Romans, it just, it just hits me. This is uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. How thankful are we for each other? I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I, I pray with uh, David and Sam every Thursday, and I can tell you they're thankful for every one of you guys. Because of the faith because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Are we praying for one another? Because that's how we're going to develop one another. That's how we're going to build one another up in unity. I know Rob prays for you guys ceasingly. For I long to see you. You know, it's interesting David mentioned eagerness this morning. Do we long to see each other on a Sunday morning? Do we long to see each other at our last service? Do we long to worship with one another? Do we long to pray with one another? And this is the part that always gets me, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, this is Paul who wrote like one-fourth of the New Testament. He's the apostle. He's the one ministering to the Romans. And then he says this awesome thing. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And that gets me because here's Paul. He's the apostle. He's the capital A apostle. He's called to the church of the Romans. He's, he's writing to them. His expectation is if he fellowships with them, he is also going to be encouraged. And so I say all that to say this. We're going to talk about building up the church. We're going to talk about building up into unity. And we just need to remember it's all of us. It's every one of us. Building up the church, maintaining and attaining unity is all of our job. It may, it may be like the Apostle Paul, he was the apostle, or maybe like David, he's the pastor. You may have a title role. 
and part of that. Or it may be like what the song bus driver shares with us or that Paul shares in Romans 1. It may just be showing up and praying for and loving and encouraging your neighbor. So with that, with that out of the way, we'll, we'll start the sermon. Therefore, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, there's that word again, eager to maintain the unity of the saint, I mean the spirit, in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's given to each one of us, not just some of us. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower region, to the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all, there's that word all again, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. So I've got this life truth today that I think is going to sum up everything I want to try to walk through in this passage today. So the life truth in your handout begins like this. God is the creator of the one who establishes true unity. Think about this. We have lots of connectedness through shared experiences and through shared life through shared beliefs. For some of us, you know, there's a connectedness of those who work at regions or those who work at Spock Automation. And, and so outside of here, they're also connected through that. Some of y'all play sports together. There's a lot of y'all who are connected through the Lighthouse Warriors. Some of you have the same interests. You like to camp or fish or, or music or act. Some of y'all share the same politics and you connect over that. But what happens when something disrupts that shared connectedness? Things often change. Somebody moves away. Somebody 
changes jobs. Somebody has a strong opinion that is very different from your strong opinion. But we all, all of us in this room, we share a connectedness given by God. And we're going to see that as we break down the scripture. It is created by the Holy Spirit. It is modeled by the Trinity. And it is based on the gospel and it is secured by Jesus Christ. Back into the life truth. We are to maintain the unity that he establishes. Let's read these first three verses again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to what? To maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we're going to learn today that we're, we're called to maintain a unity that God creates. But I'm going to tell you, maintaining unity is hard work. We often say things are hard. Raising kids is hard. Maintaining unity is hard. Getting along is hard. But often what we really mean is it's hard work. Raising children is hard work. Having a marriage is hard work. Having unity in a church is hard work. But the irony of the thing is the more hard work we put into things, often the less hard they are. Back into the life truth. Because maintaining unity is hard work, God gave us both individual and corporate gifts or tools to help us maintain and attain unity. And this is where we all need to listen to what Paul is telling us, what he's calling us to, what he's calling us to do, what he's calling us to be. And may the Holy Spirit give us ears to hear. So back in, back in verse 1 through 3, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul is a prisoner of Christ. And in a minute, we're going to talk about this bearing, that love that bears up. And Paul so loves Jesus, and Paul so loves Jesus' people, that he was imprisoned and did much of his ministry in prison, but remained faithful to the gospel. And he calls us to live in a manner that is worthy of our calling. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And what is the fruit of humility, gentleness, patience, and a love that bears up? It's an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And again, like I said, notice the wording here isn't that when we're humble and patient, when we 
are gentle and when we bear with one another, we don't create unity. We maintain the unity that is there in Christ. So let's, let's take a minute and let's look at each one of these gifts. Let's see what walking worthily in individual gifts that we've been given looks like. Let's start with humility. I think it's Tim Keller who said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I think that's a really good uh, definition. I think we often do the pride version of humility, which is self-deprecation, you know, uh, which is still a kind of a focus on ourselves. I mean, get up here and tell you I am, I am the worst husband, I am the worst dad, I'm the worst preacher, I am the worst employee, and all I'm doing is focusing on myself. But true humility is when I am willing to lay my 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 desires and my life down for others. And we see this in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And then we have gentleness. Gentleness can be defined this way. It's a sensitivity of disposition and a kind behavior. It's just... You know, you're you're not hurried and harsh. And we see this modeled in Jesus Christ, both humility and gentleness. In Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through thirty, Jesus gives this invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now picture this invite, everyone. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So his invitation comes to you, if you have brought your burden on yourself, you are laboring, you're, you're, you're super busy, you have brought on the need for rest yourself, or you are heavy laden, somebody or something else put it on you. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus, in his ministry to us, in his life, he modeled gentleness and humility. He he was the God of the universe, and he humbled himself to take on the fragility of man. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that gets us through humility and gentleness that are going to be tools that you and I have been given to build up and invest into the local body and to build up and invest in unity. But there's two more. There's patience. And patience can be defined this way, suffering or enduring or waiting and, the, and, and this is where the key is, as a determination of will and not simply under necessity. So patience isn't, I had to be patient because I didn't have a choice. Patience is, I, I could have done something else, but I instead chose to be steadfast. We see that in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. 
even when tribulation comes, be patient. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, with that patience, we're going to have to invest prayer in that. We're going to have to be reasonable. And then in addition to the patience, he adds bearing with one another in love. I mean, it literally means to hold up. Um, it it kind of conveys the idea of putting up with, uh, enduring with, in relationships and circumstances. Colossians 3.12, I have 3.12 through 1.13 in my notes. That's probably not accurate. I'm going to assume it's just 13 here. Uh, Colossians 3.12 through 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let's talk about this love that bears up. I think we all have experienced love that fires us up and love that keeps us up or love that builds us up. I look, man, the first time I held my wife's hands, whoo, it just got all, ah. we know that. We know that love that fires us up. And we know the love that keeps us up. When my wife and I were first dating, I can't tell you the number of times I drove from her house in the middle of nowhere to my apartment in Hoover at like one in the morning with my head out the window so I wouldn't fall asleep driving home. And, and we know that love that builds us up. Like, you know, I, I kind of I dig, you know, when I'm, when I'm around this person because they just make me feel like a better person. But, but let's be honest, you know, times and situations and stress and stuff like that sometimes blinds us to those things. And that's why so many people just throw love away. You know, the world is not impressed when you and I fall in love because everybody does it all the time. But what the world is impressed with and what God calls us to is a love that bears with one another. Thinking about both patience and bearing, I'm reminded of a story that a nurse told of a man whose wife had Alzheimer's. This was in the earlier days of Alzheimer's when there were, you know, there, there was less ways to really successfully take care of somebody at home with Alzheimer's. And, and this older gentleman had to institutionalize his wife. But every single day, when he got off work, he would drive to the hospital or the, the I guess the center or whatever that his wife was at. And from the time he got off work till he needed to go to bed to go to work the next day, he would spend with his wife, even though she had no idea who he was. She was that far gone. She very seldom, from what this nurse said, had situations where she even remembered. She just thought he was a kind stranger who was coming to visit her because nobody else did. And finally, after a year or so of him doing this, apparently somebody at the center said, 
hey, you know, your your wife is gone. She doesn't even know you. We're taking care of her. Why don't you move on with your life? She doesn't even know that you're married anymore. And the man's response was this, but I know we're married. That's a love that bears up, guys. That is a love that's patient. And that's that's the kind of love we're called to if we're going to build one another up, if we're going to have unity in this church, is we've got to have the kind of love that we're not going to give up on each other the first time we hurt each other's feelings or the second time or 70 times seven times. Moving on to verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Back in your handout, or I think it's in your handout, we have an objective foundation, an example for and of unity. We see unity modeled in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see unity modeled in the body of the church. We see the, the idea of unity modeled in the fact that we have one hope, that we have one faith that we have one baptism. Everything about God shows us that we have an objective standard and an objective foundation to build unity on. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let me say that again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high and led a host of captives and gave gifts to men, In saying he ascended, what does that mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that that he might fill all things. The gifts are given, the gifts that we are given is based on Christ's work, not ours. I don't don't stand up here and, and teach because of some chore I did on my own or, you know, some magic training I went through, I'm up here because God was gracious to me. You know, David is our lead elder because God was gracious to him. Sam is the worship leader because God was gracious to him. Our gospel community leaders lead gospel communities because God was gracious to them. Whether, whether you have the gift to evangelize, whether you have the gift to plant churches, whether you have the gift to sit down with another person and teach them the truth of the gospel, whatever way you operate in the giftedness and whatever way I operate in the giftedness of God is based on his grace, his sacrifice, his gift, not us.
God gave us five. You know, we talked about the we talked about the the gifts that we're given individually that that are, that we are given so each one of us individually can minister to the body of Christ. And we talked about patience, gentleness. I wanted to jump into faithfulness and self-control, but patience, gentleness, bearing with one another in love. But God also gave us five corporate gifts to bless the church. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. There's a part of me that would love to just read that as, and he gave the apostles, and he gave the prophets, and he gave the evangelists, and he gave the shepherds, and he gave the teachers. These are not self-appointed positions. You know, I, I don't get to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm a prophet. I don't get to wake up tomorrow and say, you know, I'm a teacher or I'm a shepherd. I want, I want to give you guys some just modernish definitions of each one of these positions. You know, we have the apostles, and I think we can call them courageous pioneers. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, I mean, not the Old Testament, in the, in the New Testament, we had capital A apostles that were sent out uh, by Jesus personally, and they went out to the churches. And we have, you know, Paul and Peter, James and John. Uh, I would say if we wanted to look at what a modern-day apostle looks like in the modern church, I would probably say uh, them being sent ones would probably look like church planters. Then we have prophets. And I think often because of some of the fantastic stories, the powerful stories in the Old Testament, when we think of prophets, we think of people who foretell the, the future. We think of Daniel. You know, we think of uh, him being able to speak to these kings and tell them the things that are going to happen. But really, that was a small part of what the prophets did. What they really did is they were bold truth-tellers. If we could picture prophets as bold truth-tellers, to choose a colloquial term from today, they were the ones who spoke truth to power. They were the ones who spoke the truth to kings and queens, knowing that they were probably going to get their heads chopped off, like John. And then we have evangelists. We have, we could call them gracious ambassadors. You know, think of Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham shared the gospel. You know, I don't remember Billy Graham, you know, trying to tell me, you know, about his politics or what he thought about different social issues or what he thought about his favorite sports team or, you know, his favorite TV show, what he did is he shared the gospel in a way that didn't compromise the truth, but was done with a graciousness that drew people in. And then you have the shepherds, and I think we can call them caring pastors. You know, they are the ones who, they invest in the lives of the people in their local body. That's one of the reasons, uh, look, there are, there are pastors I listen to, well, there are teachers I listen to 
on uh, on YouTube or on podcasts because I enjoy their teaching. I enjoy their perspective on things. But none of those people are my pastor. They know nothing about my life. If I call them up, probably as much as they want to, they probably would not be able to invest really anything in, in me. So shepherds are, are, are caring pastors. And then last, uh, it says teachers. And for this definition, I put disruptive instructors. And the reason I use that word disruptive is because if you're going to teach the gospel, you're going to ruffle some feathers. Not because of your presentation, but because of what we teach in the gospel is countercultural. And if you're going to teach the truth of God, you're going to have to teach the truth of God, even when it's uncomfortable. I think, I forget if it was uh, David or Sam, but you know, in one of the series last year, they talked about like God doesn't need us to be his PR person. He doesn't need us to make what he says more palatable or, or make it like, oh, this, this might step on some people's toes. Well, how can I dial it back a couple of notches? But here's, here's, here's one last life truth for you guys. If, if I am called to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, or a teacher, how do I know that I am walking in my corporate gift biblically? How do I know that I'm really being a prophet, or I'm really being a teacher, or I'm being an evangelist, or or a shepherd the way God wants me to be? Well, let's take a look at Ephesians 12, uh, 4, 12 through 14. To equip the saints, this is, this is immediately following the, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the, mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So how do I know I am walking in my corporate gift biblically? Because of the fruit of my ministry in the body. Am I equipping the saints? Am I, and what does that look like? Am I, if I ask the question, am I equipping the saints? Am I helping people use their gifts? Am I preparing them for opportunities? You know, do, do I see someone who is a leader and I'm like, hey, how can I invest in you to help you become the leader God wants you to be? If I see somebody who has got the gift of teaching, how do I invest in them that they can become the teacher of the gospel that God wants them to be? So the first question we've got to ask ourselves is, am I equipping the saints? The second question, am I building up this body? Well, this is kind of the corporate version of the previous one, of equipping the saints is, you know, if I am operating this gift, am I helping the, the, the church to attain unity? Am I helping the church to support leaders? Am I helping the church to send out people to minister in the community and in the state and in the country and other places? 
The third thing is, am I helping the body to attain unity? Um, I sit there and think there, there is a relatively famous teacher that has been a famous teacher about as long as I've been an adult. And this person was a very gifted teacher. And for a lot of their ministry, they, they taught well. But in the last four years, this person, what I've seen of their ministries, they've done more to incite and create division in the body of Christ. Uh, let me clarify that. Unnecessary division in the body of Christ. Because it's not like they're calling out a primary issue that maybe Christians are ignoring, but they have chosen issues and hills to die on that has done nothing but create division in denominations, uh, divisions in the body of Christ, even divisions of the person's follower. And so if I am creating unnecessary division because I am deviating from teaching the scriptures and I'm teaching you know, my, my opinions or my politics, then I'm not operating in the gift in a biblically way. And then lastly, am I helping the body attain knowledge of the Son of God? So the question is, uh, are, we, are we pointing people to Jesus? Are we telling uh, ear-tickling sermons? Are we doing ear-tickling teachings? Are we teaching our opinions? Are we teaching uh, prettied-up versions of the scriptures that we think will be more palatable. And I'll close with this. Sam, y'all can go ahead and come up if you want to. Um, well, you can come up even if you don't want to. Ephesians four thirteen through 16. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. I want to share with you a John Piper quote that I think sums up this closing passage. And I think transitions us into the invitation I would like to give. And this is what John Piper says about these verses. The aim of Christ's giving gifts is that every member of the body of Christ would by love and truth stop being unstable children and become a unified corporate representation of Christ. Let me read that again. The aim of Christ's giving gifts is that every member of the body of Christ would by love and truth stop being unstable children and become a unified corporate representation of Christ. 
we're all called to build up one another and the body with our time, our talent, our touch, and our treasure. A few months ago, I got a job offer, and uh, it was a great job offer. And so I wanted to turn in my notice to my boss, who I care very much about. We're very good friends. And so I texted him and said, hey, man, you know I love you, right? To which he texted back and goes, what are you doing? And he called me, and I turned in my two weeks' notice. I explained to him my logic. Uh, We talked uh, for a long time. We talked for weeks. He eventually talked me into staying, which, long story short, worked out really well for me. I'm glad I did it. Um, but part of the reason that happened is because he and I had the relationship where I could tell him, hey, man, you know I love you. And he he didn't get offended that I posted out. He appreciated the fact that it was a great job offer. He didn't get offended. You know, I didn't get offended, and we were able to communicate. So I say that to say this. I love you guys, but I'm going to say something. Based on this last little passage, And this whole idea of we need to stop being unstable children. We may come to this church broken. We may come to this church immature. But there's a point at which we got to grow up. There's a, we're not by any means a church where we expect you to be here every time the doors open or anything like that. But, but we need to mature to the part where we are eager for one another. And we are eager for Jesus. We need, to, we need to mature to the point where we're willing to put the hard work into each other and, and to this church. You know, and I, I can speak uh, honestly, and so none of y'all think I'm picking on you. There was a period of time that uh, I got very offended by something that happened to me, and it cost me years of ministry. And I don't mean years in ministry like punitive, like people are like, hey, Kevin, you got upset about that, so now we're going to punish you and you can't do ministry for years. But I was incapable of effectively doing ministry to the health of a church because I wouldn't get over this thing that I was offended for. Looking back, I'm, I'm really embarrassed about how, I mean, not saying what, what happened to me was not real and not saying what happens to any of you guys is real. But what I'm saying is it took me way longer to get over it than it should have. And it was because I was immature. And so I just want to close with this, guys. I think, I think it's time for us to put in the hard work. It's time for us to put aside the things that are keeping us from doing that, whether it's, whether it's somebody that, that wounded us uh, you know, in the church, whether it's you know, just my own selfishness, whether it's you know, I'd rather... I'm trying, to, I'm trying to pick an activity that nobody will think I'm saying is them. Because you know, I'd rather go curling than come to church. But I, I would just encourage us to think about, number one, understand it is our, every one of our responsibilities to build this church up. It's every one of our responsibilities to build each other up in this church. But it takes work. And I think each one of us just need to ask ourselves, are we willing to put in the work? Because it's, it, it's hard work. That's why God gave us gifts. That's why God gave us patience and gentleness. 
I didn't get enough and I need more. Y'all pray for me. He gave us, you know, long suffering. He gave us pastors, shepherds. He gave us teachers. He gave us apostles. He gave us evangelists. He gave us prophets. Is God calling you to step up in these gifts? Is God calling you to step out? Is God calling you to step beyond? I would, I would encourage each one of us to think about what our role is, whether we have a title or not, what our role is. And it may be, you know, the Lord wants me to teach a small group and I'm going to reach out to, you know, somebody and say, or it may be, you know what, the Lord has laid it on my heart that so-and-so I think struggles with this thing that I think I once struggled with and I've learned things through Jesus and maybe I can meet with them for breakfast or lunch and we can talk about these things and I can help build them up. I don't know what it's going to look like for each one of us, but God does have something for each one of us.